Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Laura Silverstein. Laura Silverstein is with us today, a couples therapist, speaker, author, and trainer, and she's a certified Gottman couples therapist, which I found the Gottman Institute has done more in more research on relationships, and she has so much good information as an almost open nest to herself as well. So let's hear it from Laura Silverstein. Welcome, Laura Silverstein, to the Open Nesters podcast. Thank you so much for your patience this whole time to find out the time that works for us and just just being open to the discussion today. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, for inviting me on here. I'm very excited about everything you guys are doing and um, glad to be a part of it. Well, it sounds like you have a, it's exactly your sweet spot. So let's talk about it from a personal point of view. Like why, what is, what, what, what's going, what's in your life besides all the amazing work you're doing? Uh, and I, you know, the Gottman Institute is someplace that I've been admiring for a long time. And I know a lot of your training is with that very deep understanding of relationships. But this stage of life is pertinent to all of us because we have more time to invest if we're fortunate enough. And I always say that comes from a somewhat of privilege to be able to look at our lives anew. And I do wonder if you can give us a framing of where you're coming from in your own personal life, too. Sure. So I am 53 years old. So I have been in the world for a little while. And I definitely am one of those people that sort of knew what I was interested in very, very early on in terms of relationships and people and liking real conversations. Like I never liked sm small talk. I was always the kind of person that, you know, like my friends would come and talk about their feelings because it just never, you know, intense emotion never freaked me out the way maybe some people don't like to have those conversations. I don't like to have small talk. So that's just who I am. And I think that a lot of my life decisions have sort of been a natural progression of of seeking out information and and connections and learning um you know connecting with other people who have that similar interest in you know human interaction and connection and love and you know all that all that good stuff um i I, and I've been married for 20 years. I met my husband in graduate school. So I was getting my MSW. He was getting his PhD in psychology. And um, and so now we both own a couples therapy practice together. We're both couples therapists. And, and we've got two kids, an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old. So you're close to the stage of what we call the open nest. And mm -hmm. so in your, in your own in your own thoughts and words. How does that feel in your life? Like looking ahead towards a new, that new chapter as well. Oh, it's a really exciting time in life. It's, it's so fun to have the kids at an age where we just enjoy these amazing conversations. We can go, you know, we can all go out to, to all kinds of interesting places as opposed to like going to kid places. And, and also, you know, we can go out on dates without having to 
hire a babysitter and, you know, do all those logistics or, or have our phones on our hip wondering if somebody, you know, has a fever. So it's really been, I think, a really exciting time to, to spend more time having fun, um, enjoying. We've worked really hard and, and we're getting to enjoy the fruits of our labor. We've been very, very privileged in our life, had, have had a lot of blessings come our way and ha- great opportunities. So it's really nice now to prioritize connection time. Such a beautiful way to put that because it comes from exactly what we want in our adult children is is a, is is the is seeing the future of the things that va- we value the most through their eyes, and I I believe they mirror that back to us. So so I'd be curious if each of them. I mean, if you want to talk about them at all, going off to school for a moment, or you want to just go into the the, the deep conversation part. <laughs> oh no, so. Oh, the, the the first one going off to school was tough. Um, it's just it, it was you know it just feels like that room down the hall is so empty, and you know it's um you want your kids to be happy, you want them to have amazing experiences, and I know that as a mom, but I also you know, selfishly just miss having them around and and wanting to to be there on campus with them and make sure that everything is going well and they're having fun and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so the transition, um, luckily with my first, my firstborn has been like just really, really positive in terms of having a great experience, choosing a great school. Um, and my second is a sophomore. So I've got some more time. And, and do you feel that, that you've, uh, used, and do they always say, mom, don't psychologize me? Like, is it that, how have, how have you overcome some of the things that sometimes, you know, we want to go deeper with our kids? And I think as we get all get older, we don't, people don't always know how to do that. So how, how do you feel like you've made some of those openings with them to have those discussions and fun with them? How do you, how are you doing that? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, kids kind of know who their parents are. And so during adolescence, they'll, they'll punish them the way, you know, or I shouldn't say punish them. Let's change that word. Like find their autonomy, right? That's their job in adolescence to differentiate themselves from their parents, which is good and healthy. And, and how is that going to happen? It's going to be doing the thing that is separate from your parents. So, so I think, you know, I want my kids to tell me everything and, you know, anything and everything about their lives and the details and their emotions and their problems. And, and I'm used to that because my clients tell me all their secrets. And it's been really, really amazing to see them learn how to hold their own boundaries, like teach me as I'm, I'm constantly learning from my kids. And, and part of it is, you know, having more, um, you know, they, they have, they have a right to have privacy and they don't have to tell me anything and everything. I certainly didn't tell my parents anything and everything. So, um, so that's been, that's been good, but I definitely think that we've, we have good lines of communication. I'm not worried about them. They know that they're loved. They know they can come talk to us, you know, if they, if they need us and that we've got their backs. So a lot of our podcasts or a few have touched on secure attachment, and I'm not sure if that's part of the, how the Gottman frames it, but I'd be curious how you give, how do you, how do you, how does one, as we own our own work is being done to develop our best ways of connecting and deepening and loving. How, how do you think we can convey that, that as a, just by modeling it to our kids? I mean, 
you know, having the conversations with them. Have you had a difficult one? Have you helped any kind of pe- any people with their adult kids get through those kind of tr- hard times or the things that help them learn from their kids and yet not invade their invade their kids' space and be right, able to right. show them that? Yeah, it's it's about this this presence in their life, I think, and and knowing that we're only part of their world. We're not all of their world, right? They have friends, they have teachers, they have culture and society and their own beliefs and and all of that. Um, And for us to be like the net underneath them that is there to catch them if they fall, that that our world stops when they're in pain, that, you know, when I think of secure attachment, it's that comfort and that trust that you're not alone and when you go out in the world, you're safe because you've got people that are in your corner that care about you and that have your best interest at heart. Um, and the times that I think to answer your question, the times that that's insecure or, or there's there's anxiety um, or a feeling of be of being unloved, then it's it's about really figuring out how to articulate and communicate that reassurance. Um, when I did family therapy before I really specialized in couples, that's a lot of what we worked on is, is how, um, how parents can connect with their kids in the way that feels comfortable to both of them and provide that reassurance of unconditional love. You know, even if, even if you failed that chemistry test, or maybe you don't want to go to college, or maybe, you know, it turns out that the cello isn't for you. Like all of these things that can be challenging for parents and kids, ultimately realizing I love you just for sitting there, no matter what you do. Thank you. I love that. It gives us such like, just be with the moment of sitting together mm-hmm. and accepting when they're not going to sit with us either, that yeah. you're, you're still sitting here. I'm still here. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I'm still here. Exactly. I the, the, the What you said, though, about pain, though, kind of triggered me a tiny bit because I always hear I can only be as happy as my as my as my happiest kid. And I do wonder what you say to parents who do have kids struggling. I mean, not to have to take on all of their pain. I mean, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think that we also have to be humble as parents, right? So if a child is unhappy, right, what what do we gain from also being unhappy, right? There's a disconnect that needs to happen there. It's like, I understand being happy when your, your kids are happy and being sad when they're sad. But I also think that there's a real um, benefit in allowing kids to be themselves and have their own experiences and, and not try to take that away from them. You know, so if they're sad, they're sad. And that doesn't mean you have to be sad, but it's certainly okay um, to just let to, to allow that to be and not a problem that needs to be fixed. Well, that's how all relationships are. So, so turning to that couples and your work, or I don't know any, any of the things that you'd like to discuss um, around the, the, the only thing I really know very well that I remember clearly from one of the Gottman, John Gottman's books is, uh, is the bid for attention. Like, mm-hmm. but, but I'd love you to discuss as whatever comes to you as far as how you think couples can grow in what you've observed in your practice with your, with your husband and, and even your own growth. I mean, any of the things that you can help teach us around this stage of life when we need to give ourselves more attention 
in our lives to to grow together and let each other have the space to grow apart, which is what we yes. talk about on the openness. There's not not grow away, but grow as individuals. So those I are love things. That. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really, really love that. That that we are continuing to grow and change and and if we can do that and and allow space and fluidity around how each person wants to take the next steps in their lives, then that's the best way to stay connected, right? It's it's when we don't let people go that there's something hard that needs to break. Whereas if it's fluid, it doesn't have to break. Um, I don't know if that metaphor made sense. No, I love. <laughs> I love. I look. Fluidity is a, is a you know a lot of our. It's a the lingo as far as sexuality and gender and yeah, the, yes. fluidity, the fluidity of being. So people have said to me as a polyamorous woman, and I've read so much about this and always interview people on this topic, but the fluidity idea is once I open up something, other things can open even more too, because it sure. tends to be the way we, the way we look at things. So I guess knowing how to navigate, how to hold the boundaries and values that are important to you and how to open where you want to open is a discussion that's continuous. Yes. Yes. So, so yes. how do you help people? Like, do you have an, an example, even in your own life or someone you've worked with at this stage of life when people have struggled to find that dance? Like, how do you how do you help them navigate that? So it's it's about really being clear about what your ideal dream is and honoring your partner's ideal dream, because most conflict comes from a dream that's not being actualized, right? I'm talking about the ongoing conflicts, not like where are we going to go for dinner, but the kind of conflicts that can really be distancing for people. It's like, what deep down um, is your purpose here? What is, if that dream was actualized, what would that look like, right? How would you feel? What would you be doing? And to really expand, um, and almost imagine like, just forget, just forget about money, forget about, you know, logistics, just dream as big as you can dream as to what, what it is that you want and let your partner ask you these deep questions. So in my office, I have, I have a exercise where I give them each a, a each a handout and it's sort of one person is the dreamer. The other person is the dream catcher. This is a John Gottman exercise. And the the dream catcher is asking questions, not leading questions, not not questions that are, you know, yes, no, or how are we going to how are we going to afford this? But questions of like, what's, you know, what's frightening for you about this? What's exciting for you about this? Like what, you know, why is this so important to you? And the listener is just listening and listening and listening. And then you switch turns. So both people have an opportunity to talk about their dreams. And so the way that I help people, you know, compromise or like when you were when you were talking about how do I how do you help people figure out if there's if they want to to grow in a different direction and maybe aren't sure how that might overlap with the other person? How do you compromise that? And so then if each person really understands the other person's goal, then we have a a lot more motivation to try to to bring our partner that happiness, as opposed to when we're talking in conflict, sometimes we talk about what we don't want. I need you to stop doing this, or I want you to stop doing this, or please let me do this, as opposed to this is why, you know, I I need to, you know, go to the the mountains 
at least once a year. This is what happens to my soul, right? And when you realize, oh, it's not just I, I don't really like to be outside. It's like, oh, this is who you are. Um, so then, so I, I know this is kind of a long-winded kind no, of answer to your question. this actually helps so much. And was there something? Okay. Else? Yeah. Okay. Because, right. So first I do the dreams within conflict exercise, and then it might be that we wait for the next session and then we get real concrete with problem solving. So at this point, after you've heard one another's ultimate dream, their, their best case scenario, then you talk about um, what are your core needs in moving forward. And so, so partner A shares their, their core needs and also their areas of flexibility. And so there's like two different, two different ovals. There's that internal oval, which is the core need where it's like, if I said to you, like, Tessa, I really would love to give you this, but it's basically like, I'd be giving up my soul. I'd be giving you my bones and my body. If I gave up my religion, if I gave up, you know, my desire to be a parent or something like that, there's certain things that are just that if we give them up, we're out of integrity with ourselves. Wow. Yeah. And then there's these other things which are like, uh, I don't really want to do this, but I will because I heard your dream and I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to, I'm willing to go to the mountains with you, or I'm I'm willing to, you know, hold down the fort while you go and you have your adventure because I want you to be live your best life. So that's where the compromise comes. Um in a very concrete like way. This is so resonant because I just came back from a month in South Florida because I have family and friends there and my husband doesn't like the ocean and I was able to spend every sunset getting up early and driving and getting in the ocean. And I do feel like it nurtured my soul in a way as an open nester now that can say, wow, I am bringing so much love and patience back into my home and into my love and into my people and into my partnership. My, yep. my primary partnership with my husband, who's given me this gift, that it becomes yeah. this beautiful currency of my my love and dance with him that he feels it. And, yeah. and it really requires a, a, a leap of faith when it's something that's some that's not not traditional or what you haven't seen your parents do. My my yeah. father was always like, you're leaving your husband for a month. <laughs> <laughs> like he couldn't believe Heck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so and and also just to also bring that back to one of the things in polyamory that I've learned about life, regardless of whether someone's monogamous or not, is compersion. This term from polyamorous people, which has been used to say, even if I have any kind of jealousy or envy or like or, or upset, there's an emotion <laughs> I have. I can trans I can transcend that to have compersion, which is happiness for your happiness. Yeah. You can, yes. So it's exactly this value system you're saying, like some things yep. maybe you're not comfortable, but you want to yep. say their happiness is still my ultimate goal, the dream. Mm -hmm. I love how you're putting this. And so these, the way you've explained these sessions sounds so important and resonant. And I'm sure there are so many more that you, that you, that's why people should contact you. And, and yet I wonder I do have the wonder about the how some people find their dream. There are a lot of people out there that say, but I don't know what I want. I mean, how do you start with someone like that? Right. So so then I have a list and I say, like, let's go through this list together. What if the what if the things on this list are are calling out to you? Do you dream for freedom? Do you dream for and you know, for some people that they, they love it and they're ready to like jump in right away. And other people kind of look like, oh, you know, I, I maybe need a little support with this. 
Um, and so that's where the partner can be the person to ask those probing questions and be curious. Um, and a lot of times what I do is I just keep asking, um, just keep being curious. I see myself as a student when I'm in a, a therapist role, not a teacher. Like I'm learning from the people in my office something that maybe we both don't know yet. Like they don't know their dream. I don't know their dream, but I'm going to be learning by asking questions, things that might help them kind of allow themselves to even think about. They may have been socialized that, uh, you know, why think about something that you'll never be able to do? It's just going to make you sad, right? So there may be many reasons why they, they haven't given themselves permission to think outside the box or think in a way that's non, you know, conventional. And I just want to, I just want to like rewind back a little bit to what you're saying about, um, you know, this within, within polyamory and, and consensual non-monogamy, what I have found with my clients is their communication is better than anybody else. Like, I feel like there has been, and maybe it's just the sample size of people that come to my office, but the communication that is um, that I have seen is this ability to talk about sex, an ability to talk about pleasure, an ability to talk about jealousy and, um, and the, uh, that challenge of we, we, we're overcoming some things that, that there may be judgment for, and we're going to do it anyway, I think is extraordinary to, um, to kind of allow yourself to, to, just figure out this is between us, you know, whoever's, whoever is in our group, we get to create whatever kind of monogamy agreement that works for us. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And I say that to couples all the time, right? It's just, and I, and I work dyadically. So I have never had more than two people in, in the room at the same time, but usually it's about kind of how do you talk to each other about your monogamy agreement so that you can be clear and consistent and that every, that all parties understand what the agreement is. Um, Within monogamy as well. So, so there's so many aspects of that. Do you want to discuss that? Like what comes up for people around flirting or around porn Porn. or anything like, so if there's something you want to talk about, I'd love you to be able to give that monogamous perspective because as I said, we don't have always, we, we have spoken to people that are sometimes poly as themselves and our poly counselors and, and therapists. So how do you help people, you know, in that way? So if, um, so, yeah, sorry. Can you repeat that, the that question? space? Almost like that space. Like I've also heard that the sixth love language is space. Mm-hmm. For some people up, you know, navigating what is the space you need and to stay monogamous or monogamish. I mean, I'm curious how you help them with their agreements, also knowing that those agreements can change. So in polyamory, yes. it's easy because we can make, we know that our agreements are not, are going to, we're going to have to communicate if we have a change coming. Right. And so the fluidity of that. So I'm curious how you work with monogamous couples on opening that discussion. So when I do my intake, I, I start very, very early from asking questions in a very different way. Right. So a lot of times people, when, if you're going to a couples therapist, they might ask you, um, you know, when, when did you commit to each other? 
and then keep on moving. And they mean that kind of like, or when did you get engaged? As if, as if there's this moment of commitment that's like a point in time. And, um, and I start way earlier. It's kind of like when you guys first met each other, you know, what kind of conversations did you have about physical intimacy and what kind of boundaries did you, did you have in place? What kind of assumptions were you making and when did you start talking about them? Um, and so some people look at like they're thinking about things. They're like, oh, yeah, like many monogamous couples. This is not part of their like daily language. Um, and um, and so what happens is the um, the by thinking about when you first met, usually that's when there's a little bit more uncertainty about monogamy, right? Like, are we still seeing each other? Do you still have your Tinder pro, you know, is your Tinder profile still up? And at what point do we have this conversation about what does monogamy mean to us? And I ask them, did you have that conversation? Did you have it then? And they usually didn't. Although I think young people are getting better and better at this. Yeah. God bless the young people. I'm learning from our kids too. Exactly. Oh yeah. Um, and so, and so I think then, then I'll, I'll say, well, have, what about subsequently? Did those, did those agreements change? What happened? And, and I'm taking, when I'm taking a history, I start off like, tell me about the moment that you first met. And then we go sequentially through major events that they've gone through, um, things they've overcome, challenges, great things that have happened in their life. But we also talk about the ways that their sexuality may have changed in that um, in that period of time and and expectations might have changed. And especially when I do what is sort of traditionally called affair recovery, but we do need different language for that, obviously. Um, but but a lot of what happens is um, is that there weren't those early conversations. So so there's a slippery slope of at what at some point you stop telling your partner something that you're doing with somebody else that you might be attracted to and that's when there's the lack of transparency and that is when we're doing betrayal work um that's where we try to really encourage a different a different sort of experience where where if you can be transparent then you can talk about it and notice you know I've been walking my dog and I'm noticing I kind of go at three o'clock because there's this dude that also walks their dog at three. And I've started like, you know, going on purpose to run into them at the dog park like that. That's the time to start saying something to your partner, right? Not when you've kind of rented a hotel room. Um, So I think that there will be a lot fewer betrayals when people can have these conversations more openly and everybody understands and, and, and negotiates um, what those differences are. And can you give me an example how a monogamous couple has negotiated that, that works for both of them? Even in that case, I'm attracted to someone else. Mm -hmm. How have they kept their integrity and monogamy? If that's what's the most, their underlying commitment and monogamous Mm -hmm. for me, for example, could just be flirting or porn or things that are not, so, so I, I'd be curious for you to talk about that for a bit. Yeah. So, so part of it is, is it's never exactly the same. I mean, what's the, what's the statistical possibility that you're going to choose somebody that has the exact same beliefs about what they consider 
monogamy or or uh what kind of commitment. kind of right. commitment yeah thank you commitment that they want um so so we talk about it and so it's you know do you if i'm attracted to somebody um we're watching a movie and i think somebody's cute do, do you want me to say that out loud or not and then if that person says i don't i don't want to hear it then you're not betraying that person by not saying it out loud because th- because you're clear like we as human beings are going to have arousal and attraction and that's part of what happens in our bodies. So we can't control that, but we can control what we share and what we don't share. But as soon as you have sort of a verbal agreement about what you want to know about and what you don't, some people say, look, I know you watch porn. That's hard for me. To me, that feels like a bit, it feels like cheating, but I am okay with that. Like a lot of people kind of have to say, well, it doesn't feel good to me, but, but I am, I'm understanding that for you, this, this is important and brings you pleasure. And it's a, and it's something that you want in your life. And I, and that's where that flexibility circle comes that we, we talked about before. If it's in if it's in your core need, um, where you know masturbation is not okay in, in terms of your religion or something like that, then then you really have an issue that that people really have to have these very very difficult conversations about what they're going to do if their core needs um, don't conflict, and hopefully, you know that happens um, earlier on in the process before there's been. Is there anything else that you feel like you'd like to share? Uh, about this stage of life and what you've seen become and be most helpful or successful for couples. I mean, maybe even some of the breakdowns that then they overcome, but anything or anything that you're just thinking would be helpful for people at this stage of life that now their kids are leaving or have left the nest. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for that question. Cause I think it really is, is good to take that bird's eye view and to think about what it, what to be thinking about proactively instead of reactively. And, and I'm just a believer in actively cherishing the love that you have around you. And, and so it's like, I recommend that we, that we don't just feel the love, but we take that time to communicate it verbally, non-verbally, um, consistently. And so by all of us expressing that love, right, then we all feel loved and we all deserve to feel loved. And so I think that this is something that um, we don't want to, we want to be cautious not not to get into a scarcity model of like, now it's just us, you know, the kids are gone. Like, it, we want to look at it as like, wow, we have this love. We have these chill, these kids who are who are successful in the lives, or maybe not, or maybe they're challenged in their lives, or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, when we have challenges, it's always easier to face them when we feel loved and we feel like somebody's in our corner. It's back to what we were talking about before with the, that secure attachment. And I like to say I practice extreme gratitude, like, and for my, for, for my own life, but then really expressing it to any person that I love. And right. so as we expand, it, it actually helps us expand the love, like you're saying, by communicating that. And yes. it's something that re- requires sometimes a new, a, a new lens, a new lens, that proactive lens of how we can become more loving. And it's and 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 it's a muscle. The heart is a muscle, 
If yes. we actually treat it like a muscle, like some people work, spend so much time in the gym and we can spend so much time, much more time loving. I mean, that example that I think that you, uh, that the Gottmans use when they speak together on one of the, something I've seen them together on is that I think, uh, you know, John's reading a book and Julia says, the blackbird, something about the bird, something about the bird. And he's like, he's still in his book. So he's kind of yeah. being neutral about it. He's not being against it. He's not saying, and, 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 and she may say it again. And all it would take for him to turn toward her, this bit right. of tension and say, Oh, I'm so happy you're enjoying the bird. You know, I'm, I'm reading my book, but let's look, let, let's, you know, I hope I, I'm just, just noticing that little tiny moment. Yeah. And it's yeah. not, and that's an expression of love on some level. Oh, yeah. Because the other way is that you're turning against by saying enough with that bird already. Like they explained it in such a great way that was so simple. Those little bits for attention are bits for love. Yeah. Microbursts of connection, microbursts of connection. So we want to have and inserting those into your relationship does not take very much time. It's, you know, it's sending a text that's like a winky emoji. Wow, you look cute this morning. I hope your meeting goes well. Boom. How long does it take to send that text, right? Or hugging somebody for more than two seconds, you know, when they, when they're, each person's going their, their way in the world for the day. Um, right, so it releases those the oxytocin. Days. 20 seconds releases full oxytocin. So, so just that hug, we're big huggers in our family, that huge hug. And I like to even, I call it, I, cause I do in some of my embodiment work, I do a lot of humming and shaking and, mm-hmm. and, and so I like to give it a hum hug. Like my left side, I hum on the left, I, I hug on the left and we hum together sometimes. Oh. I do, I even would do it with just good friends or someone I meet that I resonate with because when we connect to that heart muscle. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. So, so much, but the micro things are little like that little text instead of always doing it for other people or for your kids. And your kids leave, do it for each other, right? <laughs> right. And it and and it does um it does set a precedent where then it's not you're not giving to get, but it does kind of happen that then it sets a norm where it's like, oh, that felt good. Like I'm gonna send that text to my partner when they least expect it. You know, it it's it's naturally kind of um kind of creating a norm that that people benefit from. I love all of this. I think it's been so incredibly helpful for people, Laura. Really, such good, such wisdom and insight. So um, let's don't let's have people hear how to reach you. It'll be in our podcast notes on the blog on the website. But how can people reach out to you uh, to reach you or to learn more about you? Sure. So my website is laurasilverstein.co. That's C-O, not com. Um, and it's Silverstein, silver like the metal, S-T-E-I-N, laurasilverstein.co. And I'm also on Instagram and TikTok um, as Laura's Love Advice. So I like to just kind of share little tidbits. Um, and I have all kinds of things. I have courses. I have um, an empathy empathy course where you're just like practicing how to really comfort somebody when they're in pain. Um, and I kind of walk through a very, very pragmatic, like step-by-step say this first. And, and if, and this is how to, um, how to listen, like your, your life depends on it. I call it skydiving listening the same way you would listen to your skydive instructor before you jumped out of a plane, like really, really listen. (laughs) And how about, how about book or you have also a, 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 oh, right. Yeah. 
So yep. Do- and I thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. So I also have um, Love is an Action Verb. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And hopefully at the library, you can go to the library and ask them and they'll order it for you as well. Um, and I have a workbook coming out very, very soon. Yeah. And so that's going to be something for, for couples to work through together. And then after that, my hope, my long-term goal, I've, I've been talking to a colleague about how do we how do we open up a lot of this couples therapy stuff into being more inclusive for people who are who are non-monogamous and and it's not just two people because all of this stuff is dyadic. So I'm working on that. Follow me. I'm 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 definitely seeing that there is a gap in the literature and in the research. Um, and we just need more research and we need more resources and we need more therapists that are that are willing to kind of change the change the guide that they that we were taught in grad school and opening that heart muscle is a, is a is a courageous act that you're encouraging everybody to take more of so yeah i really really thank you for your time so much today i think it's so valuable all this information and we'll stay on and chat for a few more minutes okay thank you so much this was so much fun i really appreciate what you're doing Well, I can tell you, Tessa, I'm still digesting the concept of that conflict comes from uh, unactualized dreams. That is a, a little, I, I still have to think about yeah, that. Yeah, we're both kind of saying, well, I mean, I, I love to talk about it. So I said, let's talk about it at the end is that this idea that I, the, my perspective would be that that when you, um, when you offer the other person the chance to be more of themselves and help them dig out that, that dream then even if there's conflict and 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 because she even said if you go through challenging times but you have that you're able to overcome it so deeper conflict seems to come from the fact that you're restraining each other's dreams to me i I think that's part of what i don't know if it's restraining so much or being a full transparency about them and being integrous with yourself this is what more i think in line of what she's thinking about because if you are transparent with yourself and you say, this is what I like and this is my dream, and this is early on, a partner can realize that this is not what they're looking for. So yes, uh, that will not create a conflict later, but could create a conflict if those uh, dreams were suppressed and unactualized and not expressed in full transparency at the beginning. Yeah, I think we're saying the same thing. And, and we, we grow, if, we, if we're wise to grow in our agreements and the ways that we discuss things with that transparency, then we, we, that they could change. We could have new boundaries, new evolution, new ways to, of, our sec, of our sexuality, our way to connect with human beings, our ways to grow. So all of that is part but, of but, the ch- But is it activity or is it dreams? I mean, you know, she... You know, if somebody likes to, to jerk off or like to watch porn, uh, does that person have to be transparent about it from the beginning? Is oh, that's that what we're question. saying? That's a good question. That's a good question. She's, or, or, she's or, saying that that's a practice, that that's a the, practice. the practice of being transparent. So, I mean, from my point of view, we don't have to, we can have, we can have our own secrets. I don't think that being transparent means I have to tell you everything. I think it means if it if it's regarding you, so if I don't need to be transparent about, because I know that you're not religious and you don't care if I masturbate or you masturbate, 
I, I, that would not be something I would think I'd have to have transparency around. But, but, but do you think porn? But if someone knows when they got married, so, I didn't say it was cheating. But if, if someone, when they get married and they have very religious beliefs, and so there's a, a point of them knowing that the other might not want them to, so that so it could even be a hidden thing. Then it becomes a hidden conflict. I don't but know. then, but then it's not a dream; it's an activity that is being suppressed well, or, be, dream, or being hidden. I think the dreams are more of. Um, I, I, I want to be more sexual. I want to be more, uh, I, if it's on a sexual thing. I think dreams can be, obviously, we're talking about, she was she was discussing dreams. But is it can, dream or self-actualization? This is really what I like to know. I if it's, it's self-actualization, a, I think, then I can understand that. That one can prevent somebody from growing, from uh, realizing the true potential. I can see that. Right. But I, I I just don't know about the uh, the it actualizing could, dreams. I mean, I you know we why should, conflict is about yeah actually uh, yeah I, I I'm well, still I'm still we we're talking about it, but I'm still not getting the exact connection. I do believe though that the idea that that we're going to suppress one another in any way is the thing, no matter whether it's a dream or if it's self-actualization. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> then, it's a con- reg- then there's conflict. Regardless, there. regardless there's conflict. it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a good concept to remember. And uh, let's continue to talk about that. Meanwhile, uh, we're just uh, happy that you are listening to one more episode of The Open Nesters. You can visit us on theopennesters.com. That's double N in the middle and S at the end, theopennesters.com. And Tessa, tell us well, about... Well, we also have so many so many of our of our podcasts in the past three seasons have been all discussing relationships, discussing commitment, obligation, communication. Yeah. I mean, it really feels like we've, we've, we've started our own curriculum course just for us to be able to listen to and learn from. So we don't always get the answers right away for the things that we are looking for, but asking the questions and having you here with us. And stimulating your brain. And and being part of our community. So I want to invite you to our Instagram, please, and to Facebook. And subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for sharing our podcast because we're growing with your friends. So continue to do so. We thank you so much. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to The Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.